That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not gonna let uh, Mass Effect in my house. The level of violence on video games. It might be hazardous to physical and mental health. Pokemon world is a world of the demonic. Then there's the argument that video games can be art. They're a world phenomenon. Hey everyone, welcome to Hit Point Pals, where we gather to nerd out about video games and the culture of play. I'm Travis Lean. With me today, we have William Suit. Biggest howdy. We have Caleb Warwick. Bigger yowdy. And we have Rebecca Markley. <laughs> Smallest howdy. Damn. Um, City yowdy. Hell yeah, what have people been playing this week? Well, I've been playing uh, pretty much one game this whole week, and I think I think you might know what it is, Travis. Oh yeah, we talked about Remnant from the Ashes last week. Indeed. And, and last night we beat the, the game. Um, yes. What do we want to? Do we have any any follow up thoughts on Remnant before we move um, on? I don't know. Uh, I think we I think we pretty much covered all all the bases on that. Caleb, last you didn't week. get to talk about Remnant. Do you want to add anything about Remnant? It's fun. We played a little bit with Caleb. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. I just picked it up because everyone keeps talking about it and you guys. And I saw you guys playing. I'm like, God damn it. Now I have to get the game. It looks cool. So I bought it. It's basically what I've been playing for like the past couple days now. Nothing is cooler than peer pressure. I know, right? Next thing you know, I'm going to jump off of a bridge. Oh. I don't think we talked about this last week, but when we started Remnant, Will noticed that um the main, oh, yeah. the character that you make is wearing the same outfit as the character in another game by uh, Gunfire Games called Kronos, which is a VR game. Um, I found out that I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything, but I found out that like there's a direct connection to that game within the ending of the game, which is very weird and like meta and trippy. And so I don't know if these games are supposed to take place in the same world or if it's just like the developer nodding to a past project, which I think is probably more likely, but there's like, there's like an explicit reference to something that happens in Kronos in um at the end of remnant from the ashes i'm excited to keep playing it honestly i've mm -hmm. been having a lot of fun it's been a while since i've like got into a looter shooter like that it's like a long time like the last one i could think of was like that i was actually into was like borderlands like two i think actually that's a lot so more that was... loot in borderlands too yeah but it's same concept less loot but like more along the lines of like dark souls type loot that's how I think of it. So, um, it's still still looser, but I I like it a lot. It's a lot of fun. Boss fights are pretty fun, except the one I'm on right now. <laughs> but you're on yeah. the butterfly one. Yes, ironically, that was the easiest boss fight in Dark Souls One. Um, this is the hardest. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if they know that. It's a direct like correlation. It feels like, but. Yeah, we've beaten the game. I still think that 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 boss fight, that butterfly boss fight, is the hardest one in the game. Yeah, that oh, made me. Really what were hate. the implications for your choices? Oh, our choices. Mm-hmm. With like the oh, butterfly fight. The, yeah. Oh, with the with the with the soul. Yeah. There weren't any. Oh, there weren't. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was just <laughs> it like was an actually a lot choice. less impactful. It was, it was weird. Like, okay, the story is not very good. That's what I'll say. Yeah. But I don't, oh, think yeah. it, I don't think they should have tried to do a story. I think it would have been better if it was just really abstract. There's like a bare bones story there that you can you can pay attention to or you cannot. But like 95% like, of the oh, game yes. is, is, is combat and heart. tactics and uh, animation priority. And then there's like a 5% of the game that's like some vapid dialogue about oh, the root came. Well, watch out. Watch out for the root. <laughs> There's some hey other guys. worlds you can teleport between. Yeah, the story sucks, but 
it it's not a game that's about the story so like it doesn't really it, it's like a slight damper but it's like <laughs> they didn't need to yeah they that's didn't what's need to great about out. video games yeah they can have a shitty story and not affect your enjoyment speaking of opinions on video games um we're doing our last episode before we take a little break and we wanted to make it a good one um we brought a really good topic today about the relationship it's this is a very set this up for a very broad conversation about the like sort of the evolution of the relationship between players and developers which is a topic that we cover on this show all the time um but we wanted to look at it with a little more depth and kind of dig into the way that game like updates have changed over time and how the whole idea of live service has become baked into games to the point where we expect them out of a single player experience now for some reason i know yesterday will mentioned a uh, a specific single player game yeah uh for this single player like or two player uh fantasy game oh outward uh, yeah, Outward. It's pretty, I mean, the game's pretty much done. They still do some updates, you know, for bug fixes and so on. But, like, it's not like a live service game, so it's pretty much done right now. But somebody on the Steam discussions asked, like, is this game dead? And the developer responded, like, well, it's, I mean, yes and no. It's, you, you just buy it and you play it. You, you don't need to, it's not like a live service. We're not going to constantly be with this game. And it was just so <laughs> funny to me that, like, why would you expect that from like this game? I don't know, but like that's the thing now with every game. There has to be like new free content coming out every month or else the game's dead, apparently. Wait, so is that game um primarily a single player game? It can be single player or two player co-op. But it's like it's like a traditional RPG. It's yeah. like there's there's a story, it's there. You go out and explore and stuff. It's not like an MMO or like a free battle royale game that constantly needs like new content. It's it's just what it is, but a lot yeah. of people expect there to be more than it is. I've never seen that on like a a game that you could play by yourself. Like I've only seen it on literally games where you can't play it if there's other people. Like I have this game called uh, <laughs> something to do with you play as a slice of pizza. Let's just say that. Okay. And it's primarily online. And I tried playing it. <laughs> there's literally not a single person. I don't know, because you can't play it without any people, so it's like, I try to join a game, and it's like, sorry, nobody's playing this game, so I'm like, oh, alrighty. Um, you, it, you know, it makes more sense than that, but it's like, with a live service, or, or with a live service mindset. Yeah, so there's the live service aspect, and there's kind of the more general, like, critical aspect. Rebecca, you shared a, a piece that was short and sweet, I read it, and I, my takeaway was, yeah, this, uh, everything here. <laughs> resonates you want to summarize that real quick yeah so it was just a medium article by this guy named james o'connor i don't know much about him but the title of the piece is called you're not owed a perfect game and the subtitle is we've convinced ourselves that every game needs continuous work until it's perfect and that's harming the industry um and it sort of you know just like talks about how um it introduces us I guess this game called Past Cure. I don't know anything about it, but I Absolutely guess... Absolutely not. <laughs> it, it wasn't, you know, well, it apparently wasn't well-liked. Um, but then I guess it just like sort of like went through like a sort of like a re-release. Like and a No like, Man's Sky type thing. Only mm -hmm. no one wanted this game, so it's a bit different. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, 
but just kind of like explores the um the impact that player criticism has on developers and sort of like the relationship of like who's playing the game and who they're make who the developers are making it for. Um some like interesting things that I thought um were just like uh, and I quote here, like the developers clearly felt an obligation to their customers and perhaps to themselves. And I just wish that wasn't the case. And I think that's like a really interesting dichotomy where like, um, I think just like having access to, you know, be able to like communicate with developers like on Twitter or, um, you know, just like having review platforms that are just like open and accessible to everybody um, sort of like gives people this sort of like sense of entitlement that like they are, you know, the expert on whatever games or on games in general, I guess. And then that sort of relationship is sort of like feeding back into the developer's perception of that relationship and feel beholden to the um, feedback from the, from the players. Um, Do they talk about movies in this? There's like a brief mention that talks okay. about like, oh, we've seen movies we don't like. We've seen books that we don't like. And we yeah. go to restaurants that we don't like. And, and we're not like, oh, this person or like whoever's making the movie or writing the book like owes me anything. Um, that's just that's a thing. I think he's saying that is specific to games. But I want to say I like I don't necessarily agree with that. I feel like that's a that's a thing that happens in fandoms where like if you are a part of a community of of fans and and you just sort of like do everything that's related to whatever particular fandom that you're doing. That I feel like there is a little bit of sense of like ownership over the piece of media that you are a like you have entered the fandom of because I think it plays mm -hmm. a, a part into like identity. And so maybe that's why because of like, I don't know, maybe like a gamer identity or like I'm a part of this larger community. Um, I feel sort of like I'm beholden, like I, I have this expectation or this entitlement to the game itself. Does that make sense? I don't know. I feel like I was no, rambly that, a little bit. <laughs> That makes perfect sense. It reminds me actually a lot when I when um I was little and like single player games and like playing by yourself was just more more very prevalent, I guess. And um the thing I would think of when I would play those games is like um nobody else is playing this game. This game is made for me. Um kind of mindset like this game is the epitome of who I am, for example, or something like that. And I would I would just like this game would be very connected to me. I don't know. It felt like I had a connection with the devs and stuff. And like, obviously I didn't, but like just how much I put time into it and how much like their messages showed in the game. It almost felt like uh, my little kid mindset was like, Oh, like they're talking to me, yada, yada. And it just, I don't know. It, it implemented a lot into my personal life, into my identity as who I am. And like, I feel a little bit like, you know, um, People like me created this game, quote unquote. Wait, in what way do you feel like you created the game? I guess just like my understanding and my um, not necessarily created the game, but like just how much that game has impacted me, how much time, how much money, how much stuff like that just shaped like what I think of this game, what I think it should be, um, 
why I love it so much, why other people that I talk to love Fallout so much, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, that's why I feel like it's so like I don't know important to me that the developers and stuff um, understand our side, but at the same time, I understand you know they need to make money too, I guess. So. So, like, identity was an important part of, like, how, why you felt ownership over a yes. game? Okay. Yes. And, obviously, you know, my mindset has changed quite a bit over the span of a decade, basically. It just almost felt like part of being in the process of this game franchise, I guess. If that makes sense. I guess I have a question of if, like... I guess you already answered it a little bit, Caleb, but I just like wanted to know about like other games that you maybe felt ownership over because of, you know, a particular reason. That's that's a good question. Um, let's see. I was very, very heavily into the Fallout franchise. I still am. Um, another one would be the Witcher franchise. I play um I think I was introduced into The Witcher 2, which came out a long time ago, but then um, I played The Witcher 3, and it was just like, I didn't necessarily feel ownership of The Witcher 2, but I felt like in The Witcher 3, like they made that game for every fan of The Witcher, and they, they made it in the best way possible, and it just felt like a love letter to us, the fans, and that in part made me feel like I was just um, a part of this process, you know, if that makes sense, of like shaping what The Witcher 3 turned out to be. How did they um, cater to your sort of expectations? Well, that game came out in the time where live service games basically started popping up everywhere. I wouldn't say started, but like were starting to become the norm. And The Witcher 3... Um, Basically, their policy guidelines was like, we're not going to do pre-order bonuses. We're not going to do like paid um, microtransactions. We're not going to do any sort of thing like that. Um, I mean, a lot of games do that now, so it's not necessarily like um, a big deal. But it's still nice knowing that like this big AAA company is not pandering to um, just as much money extracted out of it. And then, you know a bunch of like little dlcs that they could have just made microtransactions ended up turning out free they started adding free stuff to it constantly 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 updating it as a live service typically would um and then boom new dlc comes out great another dlc the final dlc basically felt like another entire game itself it just was everything i wanted out of the witcher and that in turn just like made me feel like I like I said, not necessarily ownership, but um I just just proud to be a part of this like franchise that I've you know grown to love and um just fell into a fandom with. I wanna I, I wanna try to re rephrase myself from or um stray away from the ownership part because the more I think of it the ne not necessarily I don't think I own part of this game because I think that's a whole different mindset, but like just help pave the path with all the fans that are part of um this franchise whether it be fallout or the witcher and stuff 
Yeah, and by, like, ownership, I don't literally mean that, like, oh, you feel like it belongs to yeah, yeah. you, but, like, you feel that, like you're yeah. part of the conversation or part of its development or are, like, a sort of, like, a, a partner of some kind with everything else that's going into it. Um, or, I guess, yeah, feel yeah. sort of, like, entitled to um, the outcome, right? Like, yeah, you, yeah. You, you have, I guess, a certain number of expectations and I guess are felt like and feel upset when those aren't met and then feel like a huge sense of like pride when they are met. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I totally understand that. And like I said, I was trying to um, stray away from ownership because you tend to think negatively when you think of ownership, like um, and especially in that situation when something, somebody else develops something and somebody that buys the product ends up being, you know, tries to take ownership of that. Well, obviously they bought it, but like, you know, of the creation of it. Um, a lot of the times the criticisms and stuff are just, I don't know, just petty. I feel like, but, um, yeah, obviously when I'm disappointed in something for, for me personally, I, I just like, I'm disappointed. I didn't like that. That's it. But you know, people take it farther and they're like, Oh my God, you didn't add this to the game. Oh my God. You didn't add this to the game. Ah, and then, you know, that's why, you know, death threats and stuff to developers are a thing. And so I'd, I guess that just goes coincides with um, live services and stuff like that. Like when you don't have a bunch of stuff in the game, I guess you could add it in later. But um, that just creates this like demand for constant updates. It also sounds like from what you're saying, um, there is a certain like requirement of like service to the people who are going to then purchase the game and be a part of the game like that like i feel like it's sort of like relates to the customer is always right kind of mindset yeah. um where people who are purchasing the game feel like because they purchased this this game they are like owed owed something or they have like a a, I, I don't know. I keep wanting to say ownership, but I guess that's not entirely accurate. Um, mm -hmm. Well, it feels like there's been a different, there's like a shift in the culture of understanding of what a, what you are buying when you purchase a game. Yeah, definitely. Which is very complicated because there's many different genres of games. Mm -hmm. And like most people don't buy a lot of games. And so mm -hmm. if you're kind of in like, a specific niche and you branch out of that niche i can understand how it would be confusing i guess um I also, yeah I'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say that um i i like with games and like with anything any any type of medium there's always like a, a community of people who really love that product mm -hmm. yeah who really like things about it like i fandom. feel yeah like yeah just like a fandom like every game like almost every game has its fandom but i feel these uh, these fandoms now more and more often they're not just about appreciating the content but like specifically demanding more and wanting to like really play an active role in it they're not just like they're they're not just there to in their mind to consume the product but they want to like guide it yeah if that makes yeah. any sense yeah I, no I feel, like... I feel like there's a lot of like backseat developing going on yes yeah yes. and it's like so, the developer is stuck between like a rock and an immensely hard place because they can either take the game in the way they want or go work on something else. But then that fandom community or whatever is going to be very upset. They could pander to that. But then 
a lot of that, I don't know, authorial intent in what they're making just kind of goes away. It's just, it's a mess. I feel like there used to be a more positive relationship between players and game developers in terms of like developers would ask people to like test their games and like submit bug reports and stuff, which yeah. is still a thing people do. But nowadays, especially in the multiplayer focused games, it's just a lot. It seems like a lot of conversation about like this game is broken. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's like some time ago, it's like, oh, wow, the developers are actively letting players participate in the in the process. And that was seen as like something different and a really, really positive thing. And now and now it's like if the developer doesn't ever let the players influence anything, it's like, oh, that's these developers suck. This is terrible. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, just discussions of how a game's going to play out like. I guess I've talked about this a lot. Uh, Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord. That game's not even out yet, but there are people on the Steam forums, the Tail World Company forums, talking about like, oh, I hope they, they, I really want them to do this. And I'm wondering what these DLCs and future updates will be. And it's like, guys, the game is not even out yet. <laughs> what is this discussion? This is not helpful. There's no like, there's nothing really of substance there at least I'd yeah it's say. like they want to they want some sort of confirmation that there will be updates and stuff before they spend their money on the game yeah and it's like <laughs> yeah the base game is not it does not even exist yet but they, they just want this thing to last for another 20 years and have specific things that they really really want i really want to get or like i really want to i guess like explore like why that's happening um, like why this sort of like shift is occurring. And I feel like it, you know, in part due to, I guess, you know, having, having, um, uh, like live service games where, uh, you know, they are constantly updated and updated. And I feel like as these people sort of get used to that and they like move into other games or they return to older games or, you know, other game franchises that they haven't you know, been into for a while and just sort of like have this sort of like expectation that this is now what's going on. Um, but yeah, I guess, do you have any thoughts? Does anyone have any other thoughts? You've kind of got that evolution of companies or people wanting to be a little more active with their community. Mm -hmm. So the community plays a slightly bigger role in things. But and once you get that ball rolling, it just kind of keeps going. Until yeah. you can't really you can't really step it back. Yeah, like it's you like a relationship have to have with like no a, good boundaries. Yeah. yeah. You, you have to have boundaries, exactly. You have to have boundaries even with a fan base. Because if yeah, you don't have boundaries, like, you're just gonna let the fan base, you know, do whatever they want to you, basically. It's just like domestic fan base abuse. Or I don't know. <laughs> I feel I feel like every once in a while, like when a Marvel movie comes out. Oh, um no. Uh, that's a perfect example. There, there, a Marvel movie comes out, and then there's like a bunch of fan theories. Whatever, there's fan theories about everything. That's, yeah, that's fine. fine. Yeah. And then you'll, I'll see like 12 billion articles about <laughs> Garfield two scriptwriter confirms Captain Marvel theory, and it's like, oh my god, why are these people like? There's some yeah. degrees of interaction with the community and discussion of like these vapid theories that just shouldn't be happening. I feel. Because it doesn't add anything except for like the fan base to freak out about stuff and go, yay, oh boy, I hope they do this in the next Captain Marvel Reloaded movie. Ah, I mean, I feel like uh, that's in kinda... part because they need to sell clicks and like they want to generate buzz, oh, yeah. you yeah. know, so like it, it's all like part of the content marketing strategy well, there. But at the same time, though, I feel like that alone is also a contribution to like the live service thing in general, because like 
with the live service thing, you see articles pop up about Siege, like, hey, they added this and this to the game too. And I think that they're just like contributors, not necessarily a direct correlation to them, but I'd still think they're pretty important. Same thing like with the Marvel movies too, right? Yeah, there's like a theory in, not really theory, I guess. Oh, it's Captain sort of Marvel like theory? A, no. <laughs> it was oh, like yes. a theory in, in copywriting that is like you don't really care about anything, but you're trying to like, you're trying to buy and you're trying to sell attention. Um, so it really doesn't depend on the product or what you're doing or why you're doing it, but it literally has down, it like comes down to like the attention that people pay to whatever you're doing, because like, that's all that we have, right? It's time. That's the limiting resource in our lives. Um, and it's interesting to see like how the sort of like need for attention on behalf of like the marketing team to sell more games. So they're doing things that like, increase engagement, which then is more attention focused on what they're doing, kind of like feeding into the sort of, I guess, the feedback loop that we're talking about where like a person who is, you know, put in a lot of their time and energy into a specific game, into a specific fandom sort of like starts to sort of expect that their attention is going to pay off in ways outside of just the game that they've purchased. Yeah, I mean, well, okay, so the whole point of, like, I I don't know all the sites off the top of my head, but, like, the comic book sites, like IGN, yeah. right? Like, the whole point of those sites is to build hype around the movies so that people go see the movies and the movies get big, and then they can generate, like, a hundred different articles about Spider-Man per day to Which keep their too. business model. Fl- like, they're never going <laughs> to criticize a Marvel movie because IGN's brand is to capitalize on the comic book culture. I feel like there's kind of a like a dangerous association with like people who sort of build identities around like either specific games or specific genres of games. So we have like very public like like we have public figures like Twitch streamers who become like these sort of role models and like they have this influence on people, right? So people watch their favorite streamer play overwatch and they sort of adopt that sort of lifestyle identity as their own right they want to be like Mm -hmm. their favorite streamer and so people get so like engrossed in a specific game like overwatch and when you feel like you're not making the progress in overwatch that you want to be making like it becomes very easy to blame the developers right like yeah, exactly. Every time Overwatch changes the meta, the conversation, and this is really easy for me to say because I'm not attached to this game, but like I observe all of this stuff going on and I feel like people are out of their fucking minds. Like, so <laughs> they adjust the meta True. and the conversation becomes, oh, you changed the meta, but this, you changed it from goats, now it's just uh, Reaper May. And it's like, you guys, so at some point, you need to come up for air. Like, you, I understand that you spend, like, eight hours a day playing Overwatch, but the problem is not that the developers can't balance their game. They're not, they, they didn't make a shitty game on purpose, and the developers are the only people who can make this game, right? You can't make this game. You live in, like, your parents' basement or whatever. You don't have a studio. <laughs> like, they're not, they're not trying to make a shitty product. They're quite literally doing the best they possibly can. And so when people talk about, like, 
like Blizzard doesn't know how to balance the meta. Like Blizzard doesn't know how to run their own fucking game. It's like I don't under you. you they're latching onto anything they possibly can to excuse their like poor performance in the game. And I think that's and literally think what it is. And like you look at yeah. like the, the 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 people who are pro players and they build identities uh, around their like pro careers, their Twitch streams that they kind of do on the side with that. And people like look up to these people and they get into this mindset of like. Like, I need to take Overwatch 100% seriously because, like, that's what my role models do. And so, like, if I'm losing five games in a row, it absolutely must be Blizzard's fault because they don't understand, like, this one thing keeps happening and it's obviously not my fault. But, (laughs) like, if you just step back and look at, like, how you're coordinating with your team and your communication skills and, like, yeah, there's going to be some games that just, like, go bad because someone on your team is shitty or maybe you're on the team and you're shitty. I don't know. But, like, everything in this culture comes back to the developers for some reason. It's always you guys. And I don't understand that because, like, if they weren't there, there would be no game in the first place. And then we, like... Then what would you be doing? I I don't understand. I, it's like a very toxic feedback loop, and I don't know yeah. how to. It is. Yeah. The, I feel like the identity... funny thing is too. I feel like uh, I with like oh, go go first. Okay. Um. Especially with the Rainbow Six Siege scene, um, that is so prevalent. Like that's a big thing with like Twitch streamers too. Like professional Twitch streamers for Siege or Overwatch is like they say one negative thing about the game and then it just becomes an echo chamber for everybody that watches them and plays the game too. So then they're complaining about that specific thing, forwarding it over to the developer like, hey... Yeah, that's what that's another part of what I mean about just latching on to stuff. Like someone yeah. who has a big mouthpiece will say like this specific part of the meta is broken. And enough yeah. people hear that and they start echoing that and it just becomes this chorus of like, yeah, the meta's broken again, you guys. It's just... It's just weird. It's just weird that we're in this kind of situation where um, someone popular also can just like say a bad thing about a game that they're following also plays and they will repeat that same thing. It's just a it's just a poetic. uh, I I shouldn't say poetic, just like ironic thing about human life, right? (laughs) I guess there's just this is everywhere. It's not just in gaming, but yeah. Wait, what? Please elaborate. No, I mean, just with like fandoms, like fandoms and uh, oh, okay. yeah, that, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like someone says something, and and then every follower repeats that same thing. So, sound familiar? It should, because it's everywhere. But... Sort of like uncritical consumption of our, you know, yeah, idols. exactly. Brainwash. I should wear my tinfoil hat to protect my brainwaves from the government. I don't know. But I, I wonder, like, I guess I'm, I'm really interested in sort of like the identity aspect because I mean, I'm not like a, I'm not like a fandom scholar. I don't know a lot about fandoms <laughs> in like you didn't a, go to fandom school. I, no, I didn't go to fandom <laughs> school. I definitely have thought about going to like grad school and studying fan culture because I think it's really cool. But um, I, I know that like identity is like a huge part of like why fandoms are you know, mm-hmm. like why fandoms become fandoms. It's like you have like your your little name for yourself. You're like community. Um, you share a common um, passion, right? And I feel like maybe because. So like I mean I don't I don't know I feel like when you're when you're talking about like following like a like a streamer I feel like it, it sounds a little like in, infantilizing to be like oh they just sort of like identify with their streamer like I feel like it's like a really reductive way of looking at it I feel like it needs to be a little bit more complex than that but um, you know like if it is someone who is their idol and like someone that they look up to and someone that they're trying to emulate and like it's 
becoming a part of like who they believe that they are. Rebecca, are you saying that gamers aren't infants? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I refuse to believe that, Rebecca. I want to be a little bit more polite than that, but I feel like, yeah, I am saying, well, I guess I want to say that they are infants, but I'm like, "Mm, is that mean? (laughs) Probably, but also kind of true. Um, (laughs) Is that saying I'm an infant too? Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah, wow. the hit, hit point pal's meta is broken. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's why we're taking a break. <laughs> but I do feel like when, I guess, you have, like, your identity that is, like, a part of a certain thing, and, like, maybe they feel, like, that it's threatened or that they feel like they aren't fulfilling that identity and this sort of, like, a experiencing, like, a little existential crisis and a loss of identity, then maybe that's why they're, like, so angry. Just to, you know, tinfoil That's exactly it. it. <laughs> That's I like, like to think of it in terms of like point. a fantasy protagonist, right? Like Luke Skywalker <laughs> is this powerful Jedi, but he's one of like 8 trillion people in the universe and everyone wants to be Luke Skywalker, but there's only one Luke Skywalker, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So you have to find something to blame. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the developers because like that's the only cuz it can't be you because you are the hero, right? You are right. fulfilling your destiny. And so the only way that that is not the case is because the developer who is the enabler of your game is sort of like blaming mom. When you it's like, like blaming go God. Your, or God. <laughs> created the world. Yes. And be like, oh, like, God really fucked it up. Um, yeah. But it, it has nothing to do with like, you know, systemic problems or just it's like the, the way notes. that you are perceiving the game or like your, your talent level because whatever, you know. Star Wars ruined culture, basically, is what I'm saying. It taught everyone to... George Lucas! (laughs) Um, Do you guys want to take a quick break? Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, Oh, yeah. Let's toss to the break. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to look at kind of where update culture started to kind of go off the rails. So that's what we'll do. Here's a fun headline. Apex Legends has lost its huge momentum. This year's breakout battle royale game couldn't keep up with its own success. April 12, uh, Polygon. Um, and then if you look at uh, YouTube, there's a whole lot of fun videos called like, what happened to Apex Legends? Is it a dead game? Apex Legends dying? Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's, oh man. So, so I like, was thinking about like, just updates on games in general and i was trying to rewind back in time as far as i could mentally and i thought about how like when i was a kid the game i played the most was knights of the old republic and so when you went to install knights of the old republic you'd put in like you'd copy the data off each of the four cd roms and then if you were hooked up to the dial-up internet when you launched it it would do like a little check on startup to see if there was a patch available because we used to have these things called patches um and there was like one or two like hot fixes that would download a couple megabytes and then that was the game and it was like they had found some bugs after launch and they patched these in but they didn't do like a whole fucking content plan for knights of the old republic it wasn't like here's the here's the here's second season map. of yeah here's our roadmap we're gonna add like an all <laughs> in new September, planet new sith lord <laughs> new sith lord new, new bastila <laughs> skin um what i what I was able to find out when I went 
looking on the internet about like the history of updates and stuff is how like in 2007 uh when valve launched team fortress 2 they started doing stuff like content updates with like skins which that originated with team fortress 2 and a lot of other ideas like events like sniper versus spy um and like the hats that came with that these things all kind of kept these games going and they encouraged valve to apply these same tactics to their other games like counter-strike uh and dota 2 and then there was league of legends which also like that blew up and it kind of did the same thing of like we're gonna keep churning out new stuff new heroes um new like updates balancing stuff like that i i feel like fortnite is really the culprit of like pushing the whole live service thing does anyone want to disagree with me on that because like i can't i don't i can't think of a game before fortnite that like because fortnite was just so big um, like to an extent well, where it started to bleed into like the single player realm i'm i want to i want to bring up sports games but at the same time he, can you consider madden like a, just a live service in itself or like the fact that, that they do else? a new game every year um i was gonna say because like the Madden games it, in itself, like they add like paid roster updates and they add like um, just paid character packs and all this crazy live service stuff that you would see um, or that you would think of when you think of like um, scummy live service update types of things. Um, but that's not a one game that's consistently updated like Fortnite is. So that's why I'm trying to think of another example. What are the two um, games in the past decade that have had the biggest influence on video games culture? I mean, Minecraft, Minecraft and Fortnite, Call, Minecraft, yeah. Call of Duty. So, and both of those games are what? No, no, Caleb, Minecraft and Fortnite. Um, <laughs> because decade, because Call of Duty's from like 2000, whatever. Yeah, both of those games are games that over like increments of months and stuff they would put out these big content updates right yeah. like minecraft would mm -hmm. get its 1.2 or whatever now they're on 1.9 and now there's bees um fortnite <laughs> there bees there are bees now someone made Whoa. a mod where you can ride the bees Whoa! <laughs> like a horse. I haven't played Minecraft in such a long time that sounds fun i want to check it out again yeah. um, minecraft stream and like fortnite not the first battle royale game but blew up as the biggest one and it popularized the sort of like i don't know what their update schedule is like is it monthly or it feels like it's fucking daily to me but like there's like a new event uh like there we added mechs or like we added thanos and it's like it, it feels like these games get like new soft releases like it almost feels like when there's a new minecraft update like 1.9 brought like minecraft to the top of twitch last week it was like it, it's like these it games did? get new releases whoa yeah and that's a that's another thing with Apex and um, Fortnite too. It's like, you know, Apex dead, Fortnite dead. They're direct comparisons to each other too. And the thing with Fortnite is, you know, you have like thousands of people working on this game forty hours a week, and their thing is pushing content updates. Their thing is pushing to keep make sure this game sticks on the top of Twitch, right? And then with Apex, it's severely underfunded compared to uh, Fortnite. So they can't push out these content updates as quick and efficiently as Fortnite can. So that's uh, making it seem like Apex isn't putting out enough content mm -hmm. compared to Fortnite. Um, what expectations do you have when you buy a game these days? I expect it not to have 
any like game breaking bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, minor stuff sucks, but that can be like done in like small patches later in a hot fix or whatever. I just want the game to be playable. And like, that's and usually because like, we like be a beatable was because when we co-op games together, like over discord, we're sort of like soft reviewing the game. We tend to do as we go. Yeah. And like most of the time we're just like, hey, this thing's funny. They can fix it later or whatever. Like, I don't know of any instance where unless it's an instance where like it turned out the game wasn't for me and I refunded it or something like I, I can't mm-hmm. think of any instance where I was so upset at a game that I was just like they need to fix this or I'm just going to be like have all this pent up anger at the developers specifically or something. I I have had that in in a certain kind of way, maybe not pent up anger, but it uh-huh. is like this kind of building up like, I don't know, just amusement at something. It's um, uh, well, you would know this. The Dungeon Lords games have been released numerous, like re-released numerous times and almost always have the same problems or new ones. Yeah, I mean, that to me just feels like a really obvious sort of like. Yeah, I mean, like that's like recycling, a obvious, like, like money. You're just sort of recycling situation. this thing and like doing the bare minimum. Yet I keep we keep buying these dumb things. That's because we not, have I, like a we have like a meme level association with this game. Yes, and it's not like and it's not like, it's not like a pent up rage because when I buy it, I don't expect this stuff to be fixed. I'm just yeah, it's just like why on earth is this constantly getting re released and re released? Why <laughs> buying it? Because it's great. Because we keep hoping that each new version will like fix a bunch of bugs. It's oh. like I don't know. It's like the perfect game to like. We've played through it. Well, we've played through a lot of it so many times. It's like I don't know. It's like a comfort food. In a weird way, for me at least. What do you guys think about like paid DLC and free updates? Just in general, I'm just leaving the door open. So, it depends on the paid DLC. Like, I am all for it if it's, you know, something that's going to be beneficial to me is if it's a single player game. What I mean by that is, like, does it add to the story? Is it, you know, worth the $15 you put down on it or whatever? But if it's, like, a paid $15 skin for a character, I mean, obviously that's optional, but there's n- I just don't see a reason for it to be $15 when other games do it for like $1 or something like that. But um I I don't mind them if it has no if it's a multiplayer, if it has no effect on you know the uh, the game itself whereas it's just like a cosmetic then it's fine. But if it's like So it sounds like it really depends on the value of what you're getting. Like if you are paying a certain amount of money, you expect a certain amount of value in terms of added gameplay, um, like deepened, more developed gameplay or story or um, just, you know, like new functions, etc. No, exactly. It's like. So with a single player game and they if they add a cosmetic to a single player game, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. Like if it's a paid cosmetic for a single player game, it's like you're paying to make your character, you know, have this armor set that you can't get in the game unless you buy it elsewhere. That's you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, obviously it does make sense as a business, but like it's just I don't see a reason for it. Like it's 
dumb to me. But if it's like if it's multiplayer and it's a cosmetic, obviously that gives you no advantage whatsoever. But if it's like a live service game that's consistently updated, adding free updates to the game, um, then that gives me more of a reason to want to support that, you know? Um, and then obviously like paid DLC that adds substance to the game in a form of like more story and stuff that I'm all for. Because, yeah. How, it's more how do you make any sense of that? Make sense of what? So you're like, saying if it's a it? single player game... And yes. they release paid cosmetics. You're not going to buy them. But if it's a no. multiplayer game and they provide free updates, then you will buy cosmetics. Yes. Well, I won't necessarily buy cosmetics, but if I, you know, if I like the cosmetic they have, like for example, Rainbow Six Siege, if they had a cool elite skin or something like that with like a cool animation or something. But um, what is the value of that in that game? Is it like a tip where you're like, I. I'm like I'm giving them like extra money because I like what they're doing. Well, for this is how I does say that it. mean so that developers I have put, to release free updates for you to value their game? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. But that's kind what of I'm like saying, a broader question that we're trying to explore. So yeah, that's why I'm asking so, that. Okay, so multiplayer games, um, multiplayer games that ha like literally you could only play them with other people. The only way. Um, like, if they add, like, paid DLC to it, for example, you know, just cosmetic stuff in general. Like, yeah, that gives you no advantage at all whatsoever, but I like how the skin looks for my character and how other people would think the skin, for example, when I'm playing with them. And that's it. It makes the character I'm playing as look cool. Um, I buy it because I put hundreds of hours into this multiplayer game. And because, you know, I want, I think I got value out of it. I've put 800 hours or I think I've put a thousand hours into Rainbow Six Siege and I paid $30 for the base game. Um, you know, they add content updates and stuff like that that are completely free. And then I decide, you know, I'm going to drop 15 bucks or so to get some character stuff because I've been playing this game for so long. Whereas in a single player game, you only have, like, you could replay that game as many times as you want, but the replay value starts to decrease, you know? And, you know, if they have, like, a bunch of just, like, character skins that you could buy um, separately, and it doesn't give you any, like, because it's a single-player game, you could buy stuff and it gives you advantages, right? It's not going to affect the competitiveness of a multiplayer game. Like, I just don't see a point necessarily. Like, obviously... I'm buying a skin for a multiplayer game doesn't give me advantage, but it, I buy it in terms of like replay value and like how much, how many hours I've put into this game with a single player game. I'm not going to play that same game thousands of times over and over. So why would I buy this one skin? I'm trying to make sense of it. It makes sense to me. It still makes sense to me. Um, I'm not sure if it makes sense to you guys, but that's yeah, how it makes I sense to me it. because that's like the general consensus, but mm-hmm. I think like on a systemic level and on a level of the way that we perceive um, like what the developers do and the work that they put into games and the way that we, mm -hmm. the different ways that we interpret single player games and multiplayer games. And then there's mm -hmm. games that like blur the line too. So it just gets very confusing. There's, I posted a picture in the podcast planning of the developer roadmap for Forager, which is a small indie game and typically not something that I don't think before this sort of era you would have ever expected to see any sort of roadmap for 
But now this is like, look, we're promising, please buy our game, because we're promising in May we're going to release new game modes, weather effects, quality of life changes, combat update in the summer, new biome, hard mode. And this is all for a single player game. Any thoughts? I think it's interesting because I've sort of like noticed that because I play The Sims and they kind of like do these like quarterly like here's what's coming up in the next quarter. Like these are the sort of like additional like game packs or like stuff packs or expansion packs that they have. And like, oh, we're going to like have a like an update where like maybe some stuff will be added. Um, I don't think I've played The Sims long enough to be like, this has changed. But um, I just I, I guess like I didn't. Maybe, I guess I, I didn't really know that that wasn't like normal or that that didn't happen. But I guess if I think about like other games that I've played, that's definitely not been the case. I don't know. I, I just feel like maybe like each game does it differently. It was like my initial like sort of hypothesis or assumption. No, I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting how like the it's always the the companies that have the best sellers the biggest the, the biggest visibility and influence that like make these big changes to the way that gamers perceive games and then have this influence on the market for instance Fortnite and the amount of money that they rake in they have their developers working like un- unreasonable amounts of hours to yeah. c- continue like churning out content for this game and because it's the most successful and because it has that deep um influence on like game culture that extends out to like a smaller indie studio for example who just wants mm-hmm. to release their single player game forager but because everyone has kind of adopted this mindset of the game needs a big like content update every month or so they end up having to put out this roadmap and being like, look, guys, we're going to continue working on the game after you buy it, which I think like, like even like five years ago, that that's just kind of an absurd concept to me. Do you think that they, I mean, I, Caleb mentioned some like, like the replayability and just sort of like re-releases of the game where like it gets people to come back so they'll play the game longer or they'll be more invested in it and it sort of like extends the shelf life of the game. I guess I would like to see some studies about that. That would be cool. Um, yeah. I, I like, think it's about like the perception of... Because people, and this isn't true, but people have developed this perception that studios, like, make games. But they don't. People who work at mm-hmm. the studios make games. And mm-hmm. so, if you, if, if one of your games, for instance, like, uh, we're talking about a, a gamer who was asking, like, is Outward dead because it's not getting updates. And so, like, mm-hmm. if that's the... If, if if that's the dominating line of thought and you just want to release your single player game and people like over time start to have a more and more negative uh, perception of it because you didn't include more like free content after you released it, then that's not going to look good for the studio when they go to make new games later. And so like in the past, it would definitely have been a situation where like, just like a Hollywood movie, right? You release a game, it sucked. Okay, let's just work on a new game. Now it's, we released a game, it sucked. Let's see if we can fix the reputation of this game so that we can continue to make games and, like, make Remains money. Guy. Yeah. It's interesting to think back, like, I wasn't obviously born in the 90s, but, like, 
games would come out during that time and that's the game would be in its current state and there's nothing you could do about it so if there's like something broken with the game then um tough shit you know but nowadays there's something broken with the game developers usually will just try and fix it throw out a content update or a, a bug fix boom that's it and it's just interesting to see the shift like obviously you know if a game's broken or there's a broken part of the game that doesn't let you play it and they release an update to fix that that's a good thing rather than like not being able to play it at all but at the same time that creates the whole you know live service concept so yeah it's just it's just interesting to think back yeah like it almost feels like an it feels like an obligation on these developers mm-hmm. and it feels really shitty especially if you're a very small like indie studio or something oh yeah and seriously. you have like and you have no intention of putting out updates and like i the the idea of a dead game that's uh, that that should be about purely multiplayer spaces right yeah i would think yeah like like that what i was saying like if you no i had some like alien only reason multiplayer yeah. it was like it was like battlefront but or yeah no it was like battlefield sorry it was like battlefield but it was alien oh command and conquer right Titanfall oh, right. or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying Man. words now. I'm just saying sci-fi words. Titans are from very different like game types. What yeah, fucking game am I trying to 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 say? Are, are you I'm thinking no of idea. Titanfall? No, you said eight. not Titanfall. Okay, okay it, you said there's aliens. No, Battlefield. Ba- no, it's a, it, it's a Battlefield. It, no, it's a Battlefield esque <laughs> game, but there were okay. aliens. Was it? planet side earth defense force no anyway this game <laughs> damn yeah this game damn. like it came out and there wasn't a lot of interest and so yeah like that's a dead game right like you and people would talk about it in that way because like there's no there, there's no reason to go out and buy this game right you like you want people to know like this is yeah this is a dead game don't go like don't go spend 20 dollars on a box copy of this game and then come home and like get online and there's no one playing it if that's mm-hmm. the only if that's the only platform for the game is an online space but like now we have this thing of like, is outward a dead game? It's like no, because like it's a game. I don't get it. It's like a movie. You put it in, like you can't die. But I wonder how that sort of like language got into that space. Because like the, there's a lot of over, there's some overlap, but in my mind, there's always been like there's single player games and there's multiplayer games, and there's always kind of been a clear distinction between them. I guess you gotta gotta think about like games that are coming out that are newer that are primarily single player that people will play consistently like over and over is it just that like we have a whole generation of people who are going to have grown up on minecraft and fortnite and they don't understand the concept of a game that isn't pushing out updates because they didn't live in a time before there was broadband internet there was a time before minecraft i feel like it has to to do with just sort of like expectations And, you know, being primed by other, I guess, like game developers and like studios to to do what? I don't know, like release these live updates and or to like keep a game alive or fix bugs. And so like maybe just because that they have been, I don't know, like sort of like indoctrinated or they've come to expect this because that's what, you know, that's what their sort of like slice of the of the the game's world is doing and so when they like sort of like go over to this like other space they're just kind of like what sort of like culture shock i don't know yeah but i do think it's sort of made worse by the sort of like ownership 
kind of like fan identity like conflict that that arises within the space as well and i guess i wonder how with like single player games like modding kind of like impacts the player experience or like the player's like ownership of the game where like you get to customize it so much because of like this other stuff that you've you know downloaded and you know slapped in there that someone else made um sorry i need to go take a cat toy away okay oh my god it's having like dragging a car into your house (laughs) not like he was just knocking shit over It's like dragging like fucking bricks. This is a bag of bricks. No, it's a singular brick being dragged across a wood floor. What? Like, oh, he said it sounded like he was dragging a brick around the house. No, it was like one of those little like round toys with a bell inside. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounded like. Jesus Christ! Yeah, wow. That's what it was. Holy <laughs> shit! It just like Sorry made it entirely of gold. <laughs> That's yeah, just hard plastic. Oh, wow. I got some oh, ASMR. That scared, the, that scared the shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. I thought there was also, a rattlesnake smell, behind me. This is 100% unrelated, but I, I've, I've been smelling like burning rubber for like the past half an hour. And I tried turning on my little fan that's next to my desk. I just realized it died. And I'm pretty sure it was about to catch on fire. And I just turned it off. And oh, no. Yeah. What? Yeah, it was, it was bad. You should throw it out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will right after this. All right, cool. Who needs to add their thoughts to this conversation? Oh, I guess so I just wanted to hear oh, yeah. about what you thought about mods. Like, I don't know if like being able to customize the game even more. Um impacts like that sort of like sense of ownership i think mod communities are fantastic like having a mod community in general is a fantastic thing to be able to have for your game in my opinion because one it's created by the community so it's directly what people want to have in the game but That's only not to the, the extent that the developers have implemented the ability to create the mods. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, yes, that too. Like, but like for example, again, uh, a, a game that I play, I've been playing again recently, um, is Fallout New Vegas, and the Fallout and the mod community for that game is tremendous, and there is no um, limit to like what kind of mods you could have of the game, and like all this fun stuff. And people will literally make um, not only like content, but like entire like story DLCs, basically story um, implements that they've created into the game, um, bug fixes that haven't been able to be fixed, all sorts of cool stuff. And um, I think that's really cool to be able to have a mod community. Like you built this game that people love in general and to keep the game going, this whole community of people is making more stuff for the game for the community to play on top of the game. Like there's what's nice about mods too is like, um, it could just make the game 
better without the developers having to worry about anything. But they still um, have to so implement the modding technology. True. One of the things with that is then, like, having a mod... Okay, so let's assume Game X does have the ability, the ability for modders to make a pretty th extensive mods for the game. Mm -hmm. It's not like, it's not just like that simple to it, because then you've got the issue of, does that mean the developers... Are they going to be able to patch as frequently and break people's mods? Are the types of DLCs they're going to make going to change? Because if DLCs are mechanic based, mod makers are going to be upset. They're going to have to keep updating their mods. And then the mod makers who are doing this for free are caught in that kind of developer loop of just like they have to constantly keep their stuff updated just so it can function and catch people's eye. Yeah, and then people kind of treat modders in the same way that they treat game developers, which is yeah, like, can you update your fucking mod? What is the, what is the concept of a released game anymore? Like, is there such a thing as a as a, like a finished game? Uh, well, yes, there is such a thing as a finished game. Whether or not people will see it as what it is is another thing. Right. I, I think so. Give Halo Three as an example. Um, it's a finished game. Obviously, it's considered one like. It has a cult following. It's it's huge, like it's a finished game though, and it didn't come out during the time of like live updates. Whereas a game, I don't know what game to think of right now, but I'm just saying a game that is finished in 2019 is like it's finished. You could play it. There's obviously bugs in every game ever created, but because there is bugs, it's not going to be finished to a lot of people. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's just a case of standards have changed, like, just fundamentally. Yeah. Whether or not that's a good thing, I'm not saying, but what people expect as a bare minimum has changed. Exactly, yeah. But that also brings in another thing with, like, how developers can, like, release an unfinished game and then release live updates to finish it off, right? What does that mean, though, an unfinished game? The best example I can think of off the top of my head is Battlefield 4. When it first released, um, you play that and you're falling through maps. You're Nothing is working. Your game's crashing. It's crashing. It, when it's crashing, it's literally just not letting you play the game. So when you're like falling broken. through the map, it's yes, it's broken. So it's in a state of unplayability, which you know you should complain about when you purchase a game like if you literally can't play this game also that is a multiplayer game you you know you should be able to complain about because it it's something you forked money over for right so if a developer um can release an unfinished game and then just say oh we're just going to throw live updates into this to make sure that it ends up finished and being playable like that it creates that whole concept because like if you release an unfinished game before live updates were a thing it's just no one's ever going to be able to play it right? or not going to want to play it, obviously. But it just creates that whole situation. I just thought that would be that was interesting to bring up to like developers and unfinished games, throwing in the live service thing and live updates to make it playable later rather than when it releases. I know people were a little bit concerned when Civ 6 came out that the like Civ 6 without any of the additional DLC wouldn't be like a completed game and I was kind of intrigued by that because I remember talking to one of my friends who was a big fan of Civ 
five and we'd played together and he was like, oh, it's not going to be finished. It's going to be bad, blah, blah, blah. I hate the art style, etc." And I feel like that was just sort of like tainting his, the art style specifically was tainting his view of, of the new game. Um, and I guess I didn't feel like it was lacking anything. Like, I feel like it did all of the things that they like said it was going to and like it, it functioned well. I didn't feel like there was anything lacking. And like, I think it was cool when like I have purchased all of the DLC that's out now for Civ 6 and being able to like add in Rise and Fall and like all the climate change stuff. Like, that's pretty cool. And it like, it, you know, sort of like changes and adds to the gameplay in ways that like the base game didn't have. Um, but I didn't feel like the base game, I feel like you could, you could buy the base game and have like a wonderful time playing just the base game and it being really satisfying and like you're not missing anything that is like particularly crucial or that is, um, you know, like there's nothing broken about it. Um, I guess there was a little bit where like sometimes if you would like nuke cities in the late game, your game would crash. That happened to me a few times and it was a little bit <laughs> unfortunate. And they fixed that in a patch later on and they were like, whoops, sorry. And I was, you know, but um, anyway, um, I guess back to sort of like Travis's original question um, like, I guess I, like, I want the game to be kind of like what it's described to be. And I want mm -hmm. it to sort of like be like, not like it, I don't feel like I need like, like eons and eons of lore or all of that kind of stuff. But I just kind of like want it to do what they tell me it's supposed to do and sort of like the experience that they like have conveyed through the marketing, through the trailer, um, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't particularly have any like sort of like expectations as far as like what is okay for like additional DLC versus like a live or not a live update or like a free update. Cause I guess I just like don't know enough about like what goes into a literal making of a game to be able to be like, yes, this is valuable or this is not valuable. And maybe that's just because I'm ignorant and I don't play enough games or buy enough sort of DLC, but um, yeah. So like with any game, or any work of art, you obviously have the right to criticize it, especially from like a consumer standpoint, right? That's be always been, mm. that's been a static thing across film, right? Is like, I paid $12 for a movie ticket. Was it worth it? Should you see it? Should you rent it? Should you skip it? Was Is that, you know, with games, there's always going to be stuff that like you wish were done better, even in like your favorite game. So like, is there such a thing as a perfect game? No, I feel like it's just like Never. any other sort of like piece of media. Hell. Like, you know, you read a book and you're like, yeah, you know, it was a really great, I had a great time. But like, yeah, there was this like, I don't know, problematic piece of dialogue or like that was a really boring section. And like, I don't know, I feel like it's just sort of like up to you, like how much you're willing to forgive and like how much you're going to like, you know, be upset about. Um, but I, I feel like it's really, really, really unrealistic to expect that like there's there aren't going to be any bugs. The story is perfect. Everything is amazing because like, what does that even mean? You know, um, you also have the idea of a perfect story in your head. And that's just, this is something you're playing coming from somebody else. Mm -hmm. So nothing essentially is ever going to be 
like what you think it is unless you make it. Just saying. I don't think anyone thinks that anything they've made is perfect either, though. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, exactly. I, I, I That's bet what there's some people out there who think that and are delusional. Well, you got very quiet. <laughs> you did get really quiet. You're like, you're in a hole. small. Please you let got, me out. You got drunk. What <laughs> happened? <laughs> I've been trapped. Why are you so tiny? <laughs> hello, I got oh, big again. <laughs> I just expected him, like, standing on top of his seat, I, like, yeah, two got, inches I, tall, I, I yelling. I a hole and I was trapped in the abyss. <laughs> He's still on the podcast. <laughs> He's still contributing. What did Damn, you say? Dedication will. It was the perfect hole. Um, <laughs> I was going to say like, oh yeah, like absolutely nobody in like their right mind thinks that anything that they've made is like 100% perfect. Unless there's yeah. somebody who's delusional, at which point whatever they're making, you know, just whatever. Oh, but that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a different case. That's like a, mm. that's not really what we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. Like I think it's, like completely fine and normal and good for people to discuss like uh, flaws and things that they don't like across all media that's like part of media criticism and just like <laughs> just like logical discussions in general i think it gets to a weird point when like your perception of a game becomes overwhelmingly negative because you paid for it and it didn't align with like a certain direction that you thought it was going to take and then make mm. a big stink about it, you know, as opposed to just right. being like, well, this game wasn't for me. You know, like, I just didn't like that movie. Or like, mm, I guess I'm not a big fan of sushi, right? Like, Right, especially when we have, like, this sort of public review culture and social media culture where people will get together and, like, weaponize reviews because mm -hmm. they didn't like that there were women generals or something, for instance. <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah. Hell Yeah. Cool. Any hmm, any final thoughts on the idea that you're not owed a perfect game? I guess just like try to I don't know. Who are you talking to? <laughs> I'm talking to the audience. Oh, okay. Travis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not talking to you, bud. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> no, I uh I guess just like if somebody makes a game series or, you know, a, a trilogy of a game or something like that. If you make game one franchise. or three games. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm just I'm just trying to gather You're the things. You're trying to I'm cover saying. all um, of your bases. If, yeah. If somebody makes um 16 no, I'm just kidding. If somebody makes a franchise that you really like and one of the games don't own up to your expectations, don't treat the developer like shit. They made something you liked in the past. Just, you know, it's okay to criticize. Just don't, don't be mean, okay? That's all I have to say. Just don't be mean to the developers. Yeah, and to like add to that, I Just feel like- Just be a good person. There's like That's a, all I'm going to say. Yeah, and to like add to that, there's like a, like a sort of a tension within sort of like fandom and like media sort of like relationships where like, you know, like do we kill the author or not? Um, as like, you know, does, does a piece of work exist entirely away from like whoever created it, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I feel like those, you can still like enjoy like a piece of, of, of media and like not be entirely like happy with, you know, maybe the opinions of the, the person who created it or, you know, like what they're doing with 
whatever media that they are sort of like referencing like JK Rowling and like all of her sort of like, these are, you know, canon additions that I'm just sort of like plopping into the universe that didn't exist there before. Or, um, uh, uh, or, um, George Lucas just kind of like being like, I'm not going to release the original work and just sort of like, I have all these like other sort of like, you know, I added the lips lady. You guys have to like (laughs) the lips lady now. Yeah. Right. Um, where I feel like you can, you can be both things. You can enjoy a piece of media and still be upset with like, you know, the creator. I don't necessarily feel like that has anything to do with author intent or like author ownership over it because like your experience playing a game or consuming a piece of media is totally you know dependent upon your like what you're bringing to the table like what your context is like other media you consume like where you are in your particular like you know day or or how you're feeling about you know the game itself um but like you're allowed to have like complex and like multiple sort of um um, opinions about a particular piece of work you know like it doesn't just need to be like oh the meta's broken everything is garbage ah before we wrap things up has anyone does anyone have anything else that they want to talk about today has anyone been playing any neat games or doing any sick tricks <laughs> hell I mean, kick no once on a skateboard is pretty cool. oh hell yeah <laughs> once though the only game I had time to play this week was our Accession of Rimworld, which was really fun. Oh, yeah. Um, we started a, a new world. Um, it was, it was, I guess, me, Travis, and um, Will. And then, I guess, Caleb joined in the chat for a little bit. Which was <laughs> I was doing algebra. Amusing. You were not doing your homework. Um, I did, though. I did it. After you were moved, you were you were moved into the homework only chat. <laughs> this is, oh yeah, this sorry. is a good example of death of the author because Rimworld is a game that's made by a guy who has some very bad views on like gender. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I feel like I have a little bit of like ever since you you told me about this, Travis, I've been like, Ugh, yeah, that, <laughs> Ugh, should I be playing this game? But it's so much fun, and I feel like it's so silly. Um. Wait, was there only was he the only developer? Yep, I believe so. Oh damn, never mind then. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little problematic. Um, yeah, well, it's a game where like on a on a like down to the code, uh, the way that like male and female characters are um, programmed is extremely sexist. Yes. <laughs> um, just like. The, the 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 way that like equations are written for like the chance for like, like an algebra romance and like the the way that queer people are people are interpreted and the way that like men can go into like relationships with like gay women for some reason and like reproduction <laughs> is sort of like the game's end all be all and it has some really gross like age bumpers where like men can start romancing women who are like 16 or something but women can't romance men who are younger than them and it's like what is it this guy just like it's all of his shitty views and he just like that's the game yeah and like didn't he 
he also was like super like ableist and like oh if you have a disability like oh yeah like if you have a disability your like attractiveness factor goes down by like x number of points because that's just how it is (laughs) no that's not (laughs) and then like didn't he just like completely just like buy people don't exist like not at all yeah, I don't Lesbians remember exactly are what. Real. The only like, the only sort of like a queer identity that is like real is, is gay men. Yeah, um. <laughs> I'm sorry. <Right? laughs> like, where did you get this? Here, he said. He, he cited his belief that bi curiosity is quite asymmetrical between sexes, citing research from the Advocate and the Williams Institute to make his case. He insisted that he understood that bi men exist. But he also said, in contrast, every bi man I've ever known has ultimately ended up identifying as gay. It was his understanding that bi men are rarer than bi women, and that gay women seem to be rarer than gay men. And he rebuffed the claim that the game treats disabilities as unattractive, arguing that you probably wouldn't attempt a romance with someone who had a gunshot wound or who had the severe flu. That would be sick, though. (laughs) Yeah, when you have the flu, all of your partners oh, just disappear. That's that, how it works. They like cease to care for you. They don't want to like be near you. They yeah, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> flu? <laughs> like, oh, you had the flu. Don't even talk to me again ever. Oh, you have a gunshot wound? Oh, disgusting. <laughs> So arbitrary, so stupid. All right, now I have to buy this game. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's toxic. I do it's though. You guys so all play fun. it, so I have to play. Oh it. yeah, if you want to play it to play, or buy it to play with us, then yeah. Yeah, please do. I'll buy it. I'll buy it off of G two A to make myself feel better. Absolutely not. Get out of here. <laughs> no, not allowed. <laughs> all right. Well, what are we? What do we want to say? Goodbye. Okay, that's it. <laughs> I love you. I guess, like, what the fuck? What can people expect We're all gonna be when dead. we come back? Oh, fuck. Like, do I we don't have know. any, like, new, like, do we have any, like, thoughts? Do we have oh, any questions? Yeah, gonna be How long are we gonna be, gonna be gone for? What's the. We're all gonna be turned into know, LCL. Like... <laughs> I'm gonna be a computer. <laughs> um. Fuck! Oh my god! She doesn't want to be a computer. The cat has a gun. Guys, the cat has a gun. The cat's got the brick. He hit her with the brick. Oh no! The cat used the brick to break into the gun shop. I feel like we should wrap up the podcast so Rebecca can keep the cat happy. (laughs) Or it's gonna keep attacking her. I know it is. The the cat's like, Rebecca, I I haven't given him enough love yet. He's mad at me. Rebecca, I am upset. <laughs> You're... So as I said near the beginning of this podcast, we will be taking a break for a few weeks. Uh, we do have an episode of Star Wars Rewatch that should be out, what, next week? Yeah, it's the end yeah. of the month, so that'll be out next week. Um, that means I have to finish editing that. So, But as far as Hit Point Pals goes, uh, we plan to come back... We, we plan to take basically the month of September off. I think we we will determine... I don't want to give any hard dates, but we're going to determine what week uh, we want to come back on. I think it's kind of a thing where, like, we started the podcast as sort of 
an, an open-ended thing where we weren't really sure what we wanted to do and then over time it started to gain more of an identity and we started to go in more of like a a, a specific direction that we didn't maybe necessarily set out to do in the first place um and so we just want to fi find a way to like succinctly make sure that everyone's on the same page and that we are able to communicate um effectively to the listeners of this podcast and get our shit together i guess uh also just like figuring out when we can get everyone on for consistency because i think that's something yes. <laughs> that is important to me is having the same people on every week um that's just kind of like a i guess in my listening habits when i listen to podcasts that is something i value over most things is like being familiar balanced with meta. yeah is i value i value a balanced meta uh, with no CC interruptions, um, <laughs> and being able to just be f familiar with spe specific people's voices. So um, that's something that we're going to be working on, and uh, we'll let you know when we come back what our sort of schedule moving forward will be, and what you can expect on the podcast. Uh, again, I am definitely open to people's ideas, both in the podcast and outside of the podcast. So feel free to weigh in. Um, that is going to do it, though, for us for this week. Um, we are d in different places on the Internet, right? Rebecca, where are you on the Internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter at R underscore Markley. And then you can also find me on Instagram at my zine Instagram and follow all the cool things that I'm publishing there. And that is at zines and things. Yeah. William, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? You can find me on the World Wide Web at twitter.com uh, under at Will Suit. Hell yeah. Caleb, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Yeti the Human. I should be coming back up on weekends. And follow me on Twitter at Yeti the Meme. You can find me on Twitter at Adobo Time. You can find this podcast on the web at hitpointpals.com. You can drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, share the podcast with your friends, twitter.com slash hitpointpals. That's all we have for this week. We will see you all next time. The new Tool album came out. I have to listen. What? It just came out right now. Oh shit. Sorry, this is my favorite, like one of my favorite bands. They haven't released an album in 15 years. Let's just do so a Tool podcast. Let's do it. I could, 
Oh man. <laughs> oh guys, I'm sick. Like, I don't think I'll be able to make it. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> Have you held a gunpoint if you oh, don't show God, up? Oh, no. <laughs> like Will. Are you coming to the Tool Will Podcast? Tool. Will show up to the Tool Podcast. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's just like a podcast where we talk about like various tools, whether it be, it'll be like it'll be a, the band it'll be a, tool or we're like all together the same. It'll be a live stream podcast. We'll all go to a Home Depot or a Lowe's, and we'll look at all the tools they've got. And we're gonna review tools while we, have, while we listen <laughs> to the tools. Just like as tools go to the Home Depot, buy some tools, go to a tool concert. Oh man, that's very meta. We just go to the tool concert with power drills and we're just like Security, there's a group of men with a bunch of ball bearings <laughs> trying to get into the concert and other <laughs> things. Oh, oops, sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to impale you with my tool. Oh, man. Holy fuck, that song is 12 minutes long. Time to listen. I'm not planning on taking a 12-minute break. <laughs> That's all right. I have to listen to this album in its entirety anyways. So the first song is 10 minutes. That already came out. Second song is 11 minutes. Fourth song is 12 minutes. The sixth song is 13 minutes. The, the ninth song is 15 minutes. Holy fuck. This is going to be a... I should get some heroin. Just kidding. Jesus. What? <laughs> Everyone's like, whoa. That's not even a joke. There's no punchline even. You just said I should get some heroin. Uh, That's <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is interesting. This is very interesting. That's 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 what humor has devolved into, Will. It's just there is no punchline to anything. Everything is ironic. Or it's uh, like the hint no of one, a punchline. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a hint of a punchline, but there's no punchline, and everyone should be dead, and humans are awful. Um, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I would always complain to my CS friends, who I lived with in college, because they were like, oh, I have to do all this hard math homework, and then I would just be like, I have to watch hours and hours and hours and hours of television for like the papers that I was writing, and... They would always be like, well, that's so easy. But then, like, it's not really when you're, like, have to watch, like, you know, the entire, like, all episodes of Mad Men, you know, like, seven times, like, in a semester. Like, the sheer, like, hours of television that you're, like, literally, like, watching and rewatching um, to make sure uh, that, like, the dialogue is right, that you're quoting in the paper and, like, you have, like, the right, you know, like, frame and, like, all this other bullshit stuff was so irritating. I mean, they were like, but it's so easy. I'm like, yeah, but it's it's tedious. It's like lots of time going into like this very like, I don't know, kind of useless project. Mm -hmm. but, so like I, I can empathize with having to listen to a lot of music for homework. Oh, no, that's not homework. Oh, it's, it's not? It's, it's just my favorite band. Oh, well, then, then shut up. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I wasn't complaining about it either. I was just like, holy shit. Like, these are long songs. I mean, they already have long songs, so. <laughs> I 
You know what listening to Tool makes me want to do? Meth.